you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're going to pick up where, where uh, Eric Gonzalez left off last week. Man, he did a phenomenal job at handling that text. Uh, so we're going to pick it up right where he left off. And uh, I'm going to title this message today, True Greatness. True Greatness. I think I'm going to try to use this. If it's ugly, don't worry about it. I just need to have something to sit this on so I can, so it can like be like that. Yeah, yeah, that's better. That's ugly, huh? If my wife was here, she'd be like, man, don't do that. That's just, it's not aesthetically pleasing, Greg. She wouldn't call me, she might call me Greg. She'd probably call me pastor. It's not aesthetically pleasing, pastor. True greatness. Everybody say true greatness. It's interesting because this week I, I Googled the phrase or the definition of true greatness, and in less than two seconds, I had 308 million definitions of greatness. 308 million definitions of greatness. Um, it seems like everybody has an opinion on what greatness actually is. Um, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, uh, Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil, Michael Jordan, Batman. <laughs> Seriously, Batman. Seems like everybody has a definition of what, of what greatness actually is. But I'm here to remind you today that really the only definition of greatness that will endure the test of time is the definition of greatness that's given to us by our Lord and Savior. True greatness, Jesus says, is kingdom greatness. And at the end of the day, only what we do in the kingdom of God, only what we do in the name of Jesus Christ will last. That's it. Here's how Jesus defines greatness. He says, greatness is, is serving others in a childlike, with childlike humility. Let me say that again. Greatness is serving others in childlike humility. Here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that I've said serving others. Serving others. Because in the eyes of Jesus, true greatness is not about how many people serve us. It's not about um, how many people we serve. That's, that's the world's standard. In the eyes of Jesus, true greatness um, is defined on how we serve the people that we serve. Did you get that? It's how we serve the people that we serve. And so today I want to I wanna show you several standards of, of true greatness that we find in this text that both emerge from this text and are defined specifically for us by Jesus. Here's the first. True greatness in the eyes of Jesus, begins with those who will listen closely and obey his voice. Those who will listen closely and obey his voice. In verse 30 of this text today, that's where you're at right now, in verse 30 of this text, Jesus tells his disciples uh, that, that we have to leave the place that we're at right now. And where they probably were located was, was probably in Caesarea Philippi. And so they had to, they were passing uh, through Caesarea Philippi, 
through the northeastern uh, region of Galilee and heading towards Capernaum. This was the first leg, this is important, man. This is the first leg on Jesus' journey to the cross. Remember Jesus said he had to go to Jerusalem to face the cross. Here's what's interesting. We don't see this in the timeline of the Bible, but, but Scripture, as you put all of the Gospels together, lets us know that several months has passed since they've been through Galilee. And Scripture tells us that Jesus wanted to escape the crowds. And, and I believe that because in Galilee, um, there, were, there were people that the disciples knew, relatives, friends, business partners, whatever the case may be. And Jesus knew that if they went through Galilee, it would take him off course from his mission. Jesus also knew, and Mark alludes to this, that his mission his ministry in Galilee was finished. And so instead of going back through Galilee, he, he, he turns his focus now to, to ministering to his disciples to make sure that they were, they were ready for ministry once he was gone. And so he begins teaching his disciples what's to come. Look what he says in verse 31. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Let me tell you something. They weren't listening to a word that Jesus said. They weren't. Jesus just, Jesus just finished telling them, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to get killed. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. And they started spinning on, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. That's all they heard. They've heard the rise again. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they got caught up in their own stuff. Listen, have you ever poured, this is, this is, this is, this has happened to me, and I think I've done it a couple of times. Have you ever poured out your heart to someone in the moment about something that you were going through? And the way they responded to you after you were finished, let you know that they weren't listening to a word you said? You ever had that happen? This was the same thing that was going on here. They had heard Jesus repeat something that he had said a few days earlier. Remember back up in, uh, back up in the passage where he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Moses and Elijah had appeared to him and, and he had talked about it then. And then in Matthew 17, verse 23... Um, after Jesus had, had, uh, had ministered to them what he was trying to say to them about going to the cross and they had missed the point, Matthew said that they were really, really disturbed by what he had said. They were disturbed. They were greatly troubled. And, 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 and they missed what he was trying to say to them. They missed the point. And because they missed the point, they started asking the wrong questions. They started asking the wrong questions. I want to note here, too, that in this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. There's, there's two things going on here. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And in the Greek text, that, that term, Son of Man, in most uh, Bible translations, is capitalized, capital Son capital of man. And what that means is son of God of man. 
right? And what it's saying is that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. You guys with me? Okay, so he's fully God and fully man. And then Jesus says, but I'm going to be delivered into the hands of mortal men. They think they have the power to kill me, but they don't. No one can take my life from me. I, I have to give my life up. They can't kill me because I know who I am. I know what my identity is. Let me say something to you. You might be going through something right now that it feels like that thing is going to kill you. But it can't kill you if you know who you are in Jesus Christ. It can't. You are his and you belong to him. And he's constantly wanting to affirm that to you. But the point is, do you know his voice? Are you listening for his voice? Have you quieted yourself long enough to listen closely to what he's saying to you? The disciples weren't. They were too busy talking and being distracted by one another's voices that they missed the voice of God himself. And you know what? Sometimes we can do that too. When we're faced with our own challenges, can't we? Just, I mean, just miss the voice of God. So yesterday, my wife and I had, which by the way, my wife is just exhausted, you guys. How many of you guys are tired? Let me see it. Okay. All right. Well, praise God you're not. I am. And my wife was just beat this morning. She said, I know I'm the pastor's wife, but I said, baby, you stay home. I'm a good husband now. <laughs> Yesterday, we had the awesome privilege, man. I'm talking about listening to the voice of God, listening closely to the voice of God and obeying his voice. I had the awesome privilege of getting up in a Cessna 180. And that picture that you see right there is me taking a shot outside of the right-hand side of the plane, because obviously I wasn't in the left-hand side because I'd have been flying that bad boy, and I'd have been like close to the glacier probably crashing, but that's another, that's another <laughs> one. But, but I'm, I'm taking a picture. That is St. George Glacier. And it's located, I think, I want to say it's probably southwest, uh, or no, it's probably southeast of, of Palmer. And it's nestled right alongside the Kanik Glacier. There's this flat that's there, and uh, St. George is over here, and the Kanik is right here, and we landed right there in that flat, in that, in that mud flat. And, and so we had the chance to, to uh, walk up and down these, I mean, it was just spectacular, just spectacular day. We got to a spot where, you know, we were able to go out, and I have a, I have a brand new firearm I never fired. We were out in the middle of nowhere, so we was like firing off rounds, one of those things jumped up and bit me in my neck right here and left a mark. Yeah, it was fun, though. It really was. <laughs> and so we go, I mean, we're probably, probably a half a mile away from the, of the plane, and then, we, uh, and then we're heading back to the plane once we finish having fun, right? It's part I forgot to tell you, and it's important. So when we're flying, we're flying in, we're, we're, we're down like in this bowl just surrounded by mountains, and, and the pilot who's been flying for about 30 years gets real close to the, to the mountains on the right. He says, on this side of the mountains over here are sheep. And then he goes, on the other side over there are goats. He said, in the middle, they're bears. <laughs> 
He says, uh, and uh, he said, every now and then, bears do what bears do. They go to one side or the other, and they grab some stuff, and, you know, they eat, and that's what they do. But the goats stay on one side, and the sheep stay on the other side. So now we're on our way back to the plane, and the wind has died down. And the pilot says, he says, um, one of you guys have to stay behind because I'm not sure the flight loads without the wind. And I don't know what that all means aerodynamically, but you can't fly without a certain amount of wind, right? And uh, I'm the only other guy. Guess who's staying behind? All these things are going through my mind. One, one, is, one is, what in the world am I doing out here by myself? Another is, you know dark meat is the tenderest. <laughs> these, these bears probably ain't never seen one like me, you know. So I'm, I'm standing out there in the middle of the wilderness, and, and that goes through my mind for, for a little while as a, as a pilot takes off, and, you know, he's, he's up in there. And as he takes off, I see my wife waving at me and everything, and for 30 minutes I'm out there surrounded in God's great, majestic scenery. I mean, it is breathtaking. And I've got these voices in my head. Man, you know you still have to practice your sermon for tomorrow. Oh, you know you need to call this person. Oh, did you forget to send this email? Oh, did you forget to send this voicemail? And so I'm grab, I grab my phone. There's no cell phone coverage. And I'm looking on my phone, and I'm going through the scriptures in the Bible that I'm going to preach today, and I hear the Lord plainly say to me, what are you doing? What are you doing, Greg? It's me and you out here by ourselves in the middle of this majestic creation that I made just for you. Stop. Breathe. Listen. You know, it's easy for us to get caught up in the details of what's going on in our lives. I know that. This last week, I was telling Brother Rob over there, this last week, man, was a tough week for Pelzetta and I. I mean, a tough week for us in almost every way that you could think. And so those were the things that were plaguing my mind until the Lord spoke to me clearly and said, no, be present with me. Stop and listen to my voice and obey what I'm telling you to do. And I'm telling just to be with me in this time, just me and you alone. No voices, no noise. Let me ask you, where are you today? Where are you today? Can you hear the voice of Jesus? Are you listening for it really, really closely? Are you in a place where you can obey his voice? If not, I want to challenge you this week to make sure you carve out some time, clear some things off your plate, and just stop and breathe and listen for the voice of God and obey what he tells you to do. Amen? So the truly great in the eyes of Jesus first are those who will listen closely and obey his voice. The second are those who have a heart, the heart of a servant. Have the heart of a servant. Why don't you drop down to verse 34. I need to find it myself here. See, if we was in the sanctified church, my dad would say, somebody have it, read. And then one of the mothers would say, and the Lord said. That's how, that's how they do it in the sanctified church. 
Why y'all laughing? I'm telling you the truth, man. I'm gonna, listen, one of these days, we're going to all pack up, and we're going to go to, like, one of the conventions of, of the denomination that I was from. Man, <laughs> you'll never be the same again. Yeah, uh, verse 34, is that what I told you, where I told you, verse 33? Amen. Okay, verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what, are, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And so he said, about who was the greatest? Am I going through 34? Uh, yeah, let me just stop right there. So the disciples had been walking and talking amongst themselves. Some scholars believe that in this particular passage or in this part of the text that, that the disciples were afraid to, to comment or to speak up uh, to Jesus because they had saw what happened to Peter when Jesus rebuked Peter back in the 8th chapter. I think it's, it's 8 and 33. Other commentators believe that they were embarrassed by the fact that Jesus had saw that they were more concerned about their status in the new kingdom than they were about anything else. So for whatever reason, they kept silent. And what Jesus does next is really powerful. Look at verse 35. And so he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. The use of the word servant here in the Greek is, is really interesting because it doesn't mean slave. The use of the word here depicts one who attends the needy and the needs of others and, and, and they do it freely, not as a slave, not out of obligation, but freely. And so Jesus was teaching his disciples in this moment. He said, listen, true greatness, true greatness is being able to freely serve. He was teaching them that greatness in the kingdom was not determined by status, but by service. And remember I told you earlier that, that in the eyes of Jesus, true greatness is not defined by, by who you serve or how many you serve. It's defined by how you serve the people you serve. We're going to be talking a lot about that in the coming weeks. In the coming weeks, we're going to be exploring as a church how, how we can find great joy in serving together in ministry, serving with one another, and serving our community. And here's why. Because did you know that it's possible to serve people without having the heart of a servant? It is. Prisoners who are forced to serve, serve, but they don't have a heart to serve. So they don't serve with freedom. And here's what's scary to me, family. I want you to hear this. This is my heart. It's possible for us to serve people even in the church, and some do for a lifetime in church, without ever serving freely with the heart of a servant. It's possible. I love what Rick Warren of Saddleback Church says, and he's a pastor in California. He had this to say about servanthood. He said, thousands of books have been written on leadership, but only a few on servitude. Everyone wants to lead and no one wants to be a servant. We would rather be generals than privates. Even Christians want to be servant leaders, not just plain servants. But to be like Jesus is to be a servant 
That's what we're called to. That's what he called himself. Why else would we do anything else? Why would we believe that we're to serve in any other way? So here are two questions I want you to ponder this week. Where's my heart for serving in the body of Christ? Where's my heart at? And am I serving others with the heart of Christ? With the passion of Christ? My third, from this, from my third point from this text today is those who, uh, who are truly great in the eyes of Jesus possess childlike Humility. Everybody say childlike. Childlike humility. Remember, the disciples had argued all the way to Capernaum about who would be the greatest. Let's look at verse 36 and 37. Yeah. And taking a child, or he took a child and put it... uh, put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. Here's what I want you to notice here. Jesus never answered their question about who's the greatest. He never answered their question. What he did, he simply grabs a child and he sits a child on his lap, cuddles him in his arms in the midst of these grown men. Now, here's the significance of that. You have to remember that that in the Middle Eastern culture back in the day of Jesus, it wasn't a culture like our culture. Back in, in the culture of Jesus in the time of Christ, children had no rights. As a matter of fact, children were considered to be profoundly insignificant. It was a patriarchal society, and so it was highly authoritarian. Do what I say. Don't ask me any questions. No rights, no reputation, no will, no agenda, nothing to bring. Children had nothing. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 15, he says, we cannot even enter the kingdom of God unless we become childlike. Everybody say childlike. Unless we become childlike. I didn't say childish. I said childlike. There is a difference. Jesus says you can't enter into the kingdom of God unless you become childlike, unless you become as a child. Childlike, not childish. The disciples were acting childish. They were acting very selfish, self-centered, wanting to have their way, being concerned about themselves and and themselves only, how to posture themselves in the kingdom. They were acting very childish, not childlike. On the other hand, humility is found in childlikeness. That's what Jesus is talking about here. True greatness demands true humility. The kind that C.S. Lewis spoke about when he said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I want to encourage you with this. If you really want to truly experience the blessings of God in your life, start thinking of ways to put the word, the, way, the, the needs of others above your own. 
how to humbly submit to the needs of others and watch God begin to bless you in ways that you can only imagine. Here's my final point from our text today. Those who are truly great in the eyes of Jesus are those who don't mind when others get the credit. Let's look at verse 38. And Jesus said to him, teacher, or excuse me, John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he was not following us, but Jesus said, do not stop him for the one who does a mighty work in my name. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Will by no means lose his reward. I, I found this interesting because I'd never seen this correlation before. I find it interesting that John is having a conversation with Jesus on the heels of the disciples not being able to cast out a demon. Remember that? Eric talked about that, that last week, just a few verses earlier. Here's a person that's not running with the disciples of Jesus who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and John is having a tough time with it. Jesus puts the kibosh on his thinking immediately. He says, people who are doing things in my name and advancing the kingdom, they're not, they're not on the side of the enemy. They're on our side. They're on my side. And Jesus goes on to say, because whoever is not against us is for us. Whoever is not against me is for me. Family, if someone is advancing the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter what denomination they're from. It doesn't matter if they're Baptist or Methodist or Catholic. Or, it doesn't matter. Here's what matters. Do we share the same tenets of our faith? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? Do we believe that he came, died a sinless death, was raised again on the third day with all power in his hand, and is one day coming back to get us as the perfect spotless lamb of God, the son of God, the only begotten son of God. Do we agree on that? And if we agree on that, then the tenets of our faith are intact, and that means that we're on the same team. I want to close with this because I think it's really interesting. Verse 41 says, truly I say to you that whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And Mitch, you can come to the piano if you would. How many of you know that we're in a spiritual battle? We are, man. We're, we're in a spiritual war. And you know, when you're thirsty, you don't care who gives you a cup of water. You just need a cup of water, right? Don't care who gets the credit for it. Jesus tells the disciples, there's going to come a day when you're going to need somebody to give you a cup of water in my name. To give you a cup of water. 
in my name. Doesn't matter who gets the credit. We're on the same team. So those around us, especially those of us who are in the body of Christ, Jesus promises us that if we are willing to step outside of ourselves, give him the glory with our lives, and take to those who need it a cool drink of water in the body of Christ and those who've never had a drink of living water outside of the body of Christ, Jesus promises us we will not lose our reward. So I want to challenge you with something this week, this, this short week, because it's Labor Day weekend. And here it is. Find someone to take a cool drink of living water to this week. Someone who needs to be refreshed and give them Jesus. Speak life to them. Allow God to use you to refresh them in Jesus' name. Because I don't know about you, but I know there are times, much like today, where I need a cool, refreshing cup of living water to my parched soul. Can any of you identify with that? Be the one to give a drink of water this week. Stand with me.